Fishing for a show aimed at the outdoor enthusiast? Tune in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, Saturday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 147, and on the Sirius XM app. Welcome in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops. If you love fishing, hunting, and the great outdoors and want to make it even better, you're in the right place with host Rob Keck. Your adventure starts right here. Good morning and welcome, and thanks for tuning in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, where truly your adventure starts right here. I'm Rob Keck, your host, and I hope you're having a wonderful Saturday social distancing somewhere in the great outdoors. You know, it may be hot where you are, but rest assured, cooler days will soon be upon us. And, you know, especially when you look at the higher elevations to the north and the west. And, uh, you know, with early bow hunting seasons for deer, elk, antelope just around the corner, you know, many of us are inventorying our freezers just to see how much venison is left from last season. Well, we're doing that inventory, reason being that uh, replenishment is on the way, especially right here where I live in South Carolina. Our gun deer season in low country opens in 21 days on August 15th. Well, I can tell you at the Keck House, we have it logged in, inventoried on a notepad right outside uh, the freezer with categories of burger, backstraps, cube steaks, stew meat, and of course wild turkey. Wild game and fish are main staples at our house year-round. With that said, you can head out to the woods or out on the water. Before you do that, you've got to stop on by Bass Pro Shops Cabela's. Where you're going to find the latest gear, the very best prices on everything you'll need to put wild game and fish in the freezer this season. Yes, all the tools to process that venison and fish for the table in the freezer. It's all right there. Now is the time. To be sighting in and, uh, you know, maybe you got that new rifle scope or testing some new ammunition, putting out trail cams. And for others, getting familiar with that new hunting bow or just getting reacquainted with that old standby release or maybe adjusting those pins to work with those new arrows and broadheads you just bought. Well, this season is one of preparation. And some of us are going to, you know, going back to those tried and true stands that we've used in years past and maybe uh, with some limb saws, cut out some additional shooting lanes and uh, install some new security straps on those stands, making sure that the hunter safety lines are in place for that first hunt. Well, we're talking hunting on this week's show, and I can tell you I'm excited about it because we're privileged to have our guest, Jim Shockey, who Outdoor Life magazine called the most accomplished big game hunter of the modern era, having taken arguably the most free-range big-game species by any living hunter. Outdoor Life went on to say that he is the most influential celebrity in big-game hunting today. Well, anyone that has a TV and ever turned on Outdoor Sportsman's Channel, they know what an adventurer, a talented spokesperson, a skilled and passionate hunter and outdoorsman, conservationist and premier icon, for a hunting and shooting heritage that Jim Shockey is. Jim's an award-winning Canadian television producer and host of Jim Shockey's Uncharted, Jim Shockey's Hunting Adventures, and Jim Shockey's The Professionals. He's an outdoor writer. And, uh, in fact, that's where I first met him almost 30 years ago at an Outdoor Writers of America conference where we sat together on a bus headed out on a field trip. And it was on that trip... I asked Jim if he could find and send me a heavy set of whitetail rattling horns. Those we had here in South Carolina just weren't quite what those Canadian whitetails are like. And a few weeks later, I received them in the mail. I use them to this day. Well, from humble beginnings, here is a down-to-earth family man, a loving husband with wife Louise, a doting father to Eve, daughter Eva and son Brandlin, a man of conviction, a true leader by example, a powerful force for the future of hunting, and a man who's been recognized by his peers and every leading hunting and conservation organization with their top and most prestigious awards. I could go on and on, but let's meet hunting's most influential celebrity, my friend, Jim Shockey. Jim, welcome back to Outdoor World. <laughs> well, th- thank you. That, that's that's quite an intro. Holy smokes. That was... Uh... I don't know if I'll ever be able to live up to all that, but... Uh, well, you have. But you're I doing do appreciate it. it. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. And, uh, 
You know, it, you know, it's so good to have you back on the show. And I think the last time uh, we were together on the air was a live show we did at Dallas Safari Club. And, you know, we talked about hunting with our daughters, and that was very special. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, certainly our world has changed in just a very short time. And, uh, you know, I've got to ask, as I've asked so many of our guests over the last couple months, what have you been doing during this period of social distancing and and this COVID crisis? I mean, he's still able to film. What what are you doing? Well, you know, I've I've certainly been home for more days in a row than I've ever been for the last <laughs> uh, 30, 35 years. Um, uh, I, I've actually never never been at home this long. So so <laughs> I've been enjoying uh, the the time at home. Uh, obviously, our Spring bear season up on Vancouver Island was a total bust. Uh, we weren't allowed to take any of our clients out there, so again, that that kept me at home. And what I've been doing at home, besides watching the season change uh, for the first time ever, is I wrote a novel. Um, hopefully, you'll you'll see that coming out from one of the major publishers here in the next year. So it's all done now. Uh-huh. And it's at the agents and great and. Uh, Fingers crossed that, that uh, we're going to get a, a pro-hunting message out in a novel form in the not-too-distant future. Man, I look forward to that. Uh, wow. Uh, you're the first one I've talked to that actually sat down with all this extra time and did something of that magnitude. Look, we've got a lot of questions, uh, a lot of areas to cover. We're going to go ahead and take our first break, and uh, we're going to continue with this and a whole lot more coming right up. And I'm Rob Keck, your host here on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Sirius XM's Rural Radio is your guide to the agricultural markets. Where expert analysts and traders join our discussion live. Your information. Open up the farm and the challenges we face. You can learn how to do it for yourself. Rural Radio, your gateway to the rural lifestyle. The latest information about hunting, fishing, and more. Rural Radio is the leader in Western sports. We talk about the latest in Western sports. Professional rodeo, bull riding. Sirius XM's Rural Radio. 147. Or listen on your phone when you get out of your car with the Sirius XM app. In 1912, Theodore Roosevelt said, There can be no greater issue than that of conservation in this country. More than a century later, his statement has never been more meaningful. The Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership promotes Roosevelt's commitment to the sporting life by guaranteeing that all Americans have quality places to hunt and fish. Visit trcp.org to learn more and take action. Welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. If you've just tuned in, we're visiting with the host of Jim Shockey's Hunting Adventures, Uncharted, and the professionals there on Outdoor and Sportsman's Channel, the man himself, Jim Shockey. You know, Jim, COVID has touched Canada as well as the U.S. and, of course, literally worldwide. And, you know, as we know, and you just mentioned in that first segment, no spring bear hunting this year uh, in, uh, for for so many of the outfitters. And, you know, the border has remained closed to U.S. hunters. What kind of an impact has this closure had on outfitters that guide spring bear hunters? Well, I mean, think about it. You're, you're, you're lost your income for the year. Now, you know, part of the problem with, with every outfitter is we start spending all the money that we have the, for the next season, the day the last season is over. So a year ago, when the season was over, every outfitter started spending money for the new season. You, know, you don't spend money for the season that's over. You know, so all your marketing, all your you know phone bills, your heating, lighting, your wages for any of your employees that may be on salary. You know, these are all expenses that we start incurring for the new season last year for this spring that just passed. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been spending money for ten months before the season was supposed to start. So that that is very difficult for the clients to understand because obviously they didn't get to go hunting. Yeah, and you know the outfitter, you know, it's they're in a hard place because they don't have the money to give back. They've they spent they might have saved some and any profits they can give back mm-hmm. or that they would have made, but uh, that that money is gone in most cases, and uh, it, it's called a frustrated contract where neither party can perform their duties on a contract. It's very rare, but 
you know, there is case law and, and uh, basically, you know, it's just tough luck Man. for the clients, tough luck for the outfitters. It's, it, it, you know, the world is, we're all going through this right now. The world's turning over. Yep. No, it is. We well, you know there's some hunters, of course, that have booked uh, sheep hunts for doll and stones and, you know, hunts in July and August that are not happening right now. Do you see the border opening up to any of the Canadian fall hunting seasons this year? Boy, that, that's a tough one. I mean, our prime minister, um, such as he is, is, you know, he's, he's no doubt watching the news reports down in the States where the numbers are increasing or, you know, stabilized, but there's, you know, far more cases being reported down there by the mainstream media than up in Canada. So I think he'll probably lean towards, you know, keeping the borders closed for as long as possible. Now, they may open up with caveats, meaning certain types of industries will be allowed to have people cross the border. Mm -hmm. Um, And the tourism industry, specifically hunting, might be one that does open. Uh, We're in talks all the time with the medical officers uh, across the various provinces. And, you know, because we go into remote camps with our clients, that's the same thing as a quarantine. So as long as we can put protocols in place where the clients can come, say, fly into Whitehorse, Yukon, come off the airplane on the tarmac and right onto the new airplane uh, out to hunting camp, that's a quarantine. That's effective. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it stabilizes. There's no chance of spreading the uh, this COVID uh, virus. And and that's what they're, you know, that that seems to be what everybody's so concerned about. So sure. we are in negotiations or talks with these medical officers. And they're, right now, it's fairly positive for hunting. Oh, man. Um, yeah. That's great yeah, news. That's, but that's if, if our prime minister allows Americans to come across the border. Yeah. And that's the big if. Well, you know, of course, you know, these outfitters, many of them holding large, expensive concessions uh, from the government, you know, with delayed payments. Uh, and maybe in some cases, you know, if we don't have hunting in Canada this year, what happens to those concessions then? Will they be foreclosed? And, and what, what will happen to hunting? Well, you know, I, I don't even want to think about it, but it, it, you know, it's it's not going to be good for us uh, as hunters. Uh, we have to do everything we can to keep those outfitters viable, because once you take away the supply um, of the product, which is the hunts, mm-hmm. you know, the demand is going to go away. And, and if the demand yeah. goes away, wildlife suffers, conservation Absolutely. suffers, Absolutely. hunter numbers go down. I mean, there's just no good is going to come of outfitters going bankrupt. Uh, so again, every client out there just understand it's your holiday money. It's those, the livelihood of those outfitters. And, uh, you know, it, it's just a tough time. And, and unfortunately things happen, you know, world events, uh, beyond our control and, and, uh, try not to take too many shots at the outfitters, uh, even though it hurts losing money on a hunt that you couldn't go on. Yeah. They, they need to be viable. They need to be alive and, and functioning next year. Well, look, with the large availability of crown land and places for Canadian residents to hunt, can Canadians fill that that void uh, with Canadian outfitters? You know, we're trying. Uh, I know in our, in our case, and right now, as a for instance, um, the Yukon Territory, where I've got my rogue River outfitting territory, uh, they're not allowing Canadians into the Yukon other than residents of British Columbia and residents of the Northwest Territories. And that wow. just wow. opened July 1st. Mm. So, you know, hopefully they'll start letting in Alberta residents and residents from Saskatchewan and, you know, hopefully the rest of Canada. So what we're actually getting is territorial closures uh, that are above and beyond the international border closure. So, you know, we can't fill them if we can't take Canadians yeah. into those spots or, in, you know, into those areas where the opening is taking place. So we'll have to wait and see. But but certainly, you know, the population of Canada is 10% of the United States. So 
That's a pretty much the ratio of, of hunters that go on the hunts. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, we book 90% to American hunters and 10% to Canadian hunters, and that's historically been you know, you know, provable for years. So it's very difficult to pick up that balance um, in, within Canada. I, I don't really see it happening as much as we might try. Yeah. Well, we're just going to pray for good things to happen here, that it's going to open. That's going to take us to our next break. And, folks, when we return, we're going to continue our conversation with Jim. This and a whole lot more coming right up. And I'm Rob Kent, your host here on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us, and we will be right back. We all have it. Whether it was passed down from our fathers or grandfathers, we knew it was there inside us. That need, that longing to walk among the wild. But it's more than just our love of the outdoors that keeps us coming back. It's knowing we serve a purpose to give more than we take. That we're here to carry on a legacy and become stewards of our wildlife. This place embodies that legacy with over a mile and a half of walkable trails and 35,000 live fish, mammals, reptiles, amphibians, and birds to teach and inspire. Stop, and you'll feel it. Listen, and you'll hear it. Asking you to share the wonder. The Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium. Share the wonder. Welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. Thanks for joining us. If you've just tuned in, we're having a really enlightening and a a deep conversation with the most influential celebrity of big game hunting, my good friend, Jim Shockey. You know, Jim, we've got listeners that, you know, are making plans to attend uh, uh, a number of wildlife conservation conventions uh, in 2021. You know, one of the first uh, that generally happens, Dallas Safari Club's convention in January, and that show has now moved to to mid-February. There's questions about January's SHOT Show and and other conventions actually taking place. And I want to think positive and that we're going to be able to deal with this. But, you know, what happens to these outfitters and the business people if they can't travel to those major events to book hunts and to to line up their business for for the coming year? What, what would happen there? Well, I mean, you, once you start compounding the effects of all these closures, um, you, you get an exponential curve happening. I mean, yes, most of us can tolerate and handle a one-month, you know, no income, nothing happening. Or two months if you, you have to, you know, three months. Now we're, we're going on, you know, whatever, four months uh and looking like we're into a five and six month, at least period, um, where you know people's revenues, their livelihoods are, are being impacted negatively. And the longer that goes on, the longer it's going to take us to recover from that within our hunting industry, and certainly in every other industry. That you know that those spin-off effects and the trickle-down effects. That yeah, maybe it doesn't affect you. You've got a grocery store and everybody's working, but you know, the outfitters aren't making money. They're not paying their guides. The guides aren't going to go buy food and gas and cars and houses and, you know, do renovations. This, this, the longer this goes on, the the worse it's going to be for all of us for, you know, years to come, not just months to come. So, so I'm, I mean, fingers crossed, like you say, you pray for good news and, and hopefully some of this, and I don't want to get too deeply into it. No, but, that's fine. Um, some of it may be, you know, media perpetrated and, and uh, with not the best intentions of our two countries in mind, they may be, you know, forcing upon us an agenda and an ideology that uh, we're not, most of us are not prepared to accept. And, and it's when you have control of the, the, the popular press, you have control of the messaging. And, and so I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I, I honestly don't know who to believe anymore on this stuff. I, you know, a hundred people that have had COVID and, and they're all fine. Yeah. You know, it was no big deal. And, and so, okay, well, you know, there's a hundred people, you know, but that said, I also know two people that were, were badly affected by it. And, and so what, what's, what's, but I know, I know 
people that are affected by malaria and have Lyme's disease and got in a car accident. All these, you know, the flu, pneumonia. I had a brother-in-law that had it. You know, he just about died from pneumonia. It had nothing to do with COVID. That, you know, when you're alive, you're going to catch something eventually, and and uh, none of us have figured out how to avoid that in the long run. So, yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah. Rob, I don't, well, we I don't. hope for. I hope for good news. Well, I do too. And and one last thing on this, we're going to move on to different different area. Conservation is suffering right now, and if this continues, it's going to suffer even more. And uh, anyway, Jim, I want to talk about your family. You know, we got to meet, when I say we, the the general public, got to meet your dad, Hal, and your father-in-law in some of your earlier Outdoor Channel episodes. What characters, what fun, what a breath of fresh air. I mean, they were the stars of your show. Tell us what your dad meant to you. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he he was my hero. He He, um, he taught me about the outdoors. Uh, he, he inspired me. He set an example for me. You know, what he meant to me was everything. I mean, him and my, him and my mother were, were the, um, most important people in, in my life. And, and obviously, you know, now that he's, he's gone, he, you know, I'd, I'd give anything for one more day with him out on a whitetail stand. So, so yeah, he, he was, he was uh, my guiding light, you know, for at least on Earth, and uh, yeah, I, mi- I miss them. They, they were truly were him and Len, my father-in-law, were were the stars of the show. They made the show. They, uh, <laughs> they, 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 a lot of the awards we received for our television productions, I know, are directly related to those two old characters. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Well, besides your dad, who were some of the other? hunting influencers in your life, mentors that maybe made a difference for where your career path took? Oh, boy. You know, there's so many people, even within our industries, uh, like Jim Zumbo, you know, a gentleman, uh, a scholar. You know, I, I, you're, you're you. I mean, uh, you know, back in the day, like you say, we met 30 years ago. Uh, there's uh, Judd Cooney, you know, tough tough hunter and you know just uh, an inspiration for me there's there, there's so many and, and and then there's you know people that i've worked with in in the uh, opening industry wojo my right hand man ryan leaf the, these you know they're unsung heroes to me that mm. uh you know they're, they're just solid of the earth people that uh, i have tremendous respect for and and would never let them down. You know, they always try and strive to to live up to their expectations and and uh, you know their standards. So so yeah, there's there's just well, we'd be here we'd be here forever. <laughs> Johnny Morris. I mean, look, look at Johnny Morris with his museum. He's yeah. he's created a, a place for all of us with the wonders of wildlife. You know, uh, you know, it's it's I, I don't know how do how do you it's the place that we can go and. Everybody in the world will know that hunting and conservation fishermen are, are vital to the you know the future of, of wildlife and and uh, you know under the water or on the land in the air in North America. I mean, tell me, tell me, you know, he's walked the walk. That that inspired me to create my museum up here in Canada, the Hand of Man Museum of Natural History, Cultural Arts, and Conservation. You know, that's Johnny Morris. You know. Like I say, there's been so many wonderful influences on my life and career within our industry, or you know, the the outdoor world. That uh, we, you'd have to have me on here for about the next six weeks, and I'd be saying names the whole time, and we'd never get through them all. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, look, that's going to take us uh, to our next break, and uh, when we return, going to continue to visit with Jim. I want to talk some more about family and family life this and a whole lot more coming right up and i'm rob keck and you listen to bass pro shops outdoor world and we will be right back this is a public service announcement test from takemefishing.org to determine if you need a fishing license and boat registration before heading out on the water let's begin are you a bear do you have a beak does your name rhyme with old beagle Do you dart in front of cars? 
Here's a tough one. Do you have plumage? Do you rub your body against things to mark them? Do you have webbed feet? No, I mean like a... Were you hatched? Do you have fur? I'm not talking back here. Does your boat fly south for the winter with the other boats? Regardless of how you answer, you need to be licensed and registered because it helps local conservation efforts protect the very natural resources you enjoy boating and fishing in for generations to come. Do your part at TakeMeFishing.org. And welcome back to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. If you've just tuned in, we're visiting with the most accomplished big game hunter of the modern era, Jim Shockey. You know, Jim, for all of us that uh, have hunted, those of us that produced television over the years, it meant many days away from home, days away from our wives, our family, our kids. I want you to share with us, give us a sort of a thumbnail description of what family life was like in the earlier days of producing television and hunting before Eva joined you as a co-host. And, you know, when you were traveling so extensively worldwide, you know, how did you handle that as a dad? That, that was the hardest part, you know, for sure. And, and I, you know, I, just to put it in perspective, I spent um, an average of 306 days a year on the road for nearly 20 years. Wow. And uh, wow. before that, I uh, was, you know, around 200 days a year on the road. And, you know, my wife, Louise, and I, we've been married. She's my soulmate. We've been married 35 years now. And, uh, uh, you know, to to leave her with Branlin, our son, and Eva, our daughter, and, and go on these, you know, uh, you know, adventures, wild adventures that, you know, there was a measure of risk involved, but it was risk for me, which, you know, I, I you know, I, I took that in stride. But the bigger risk was, you know, your, your family's at home and you're not there to protect them, to, to help out, to, you know, to drive the kids to soccer, to, you know, just to be there to mm-hmm. talk, to have coffee, you know, watch the sun set with your, with your soulmate. I mean, it was, it was really tough. I, and I honestly don't think I could have done it if it wasn't for the invention of the satellite telephone that without a satellite telephone, I, I mean, I have called home every single day and twice a day if I could for every single one of the days that I've been, you know, was gone for all those years. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I just, it was the only way to keep in touch with my family. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't have done what, what I did in hunting without, without that contact. Yeah. Well, I know, that was the deal I made with my wife. You know, I neglected my family in trying to grow the Federation and doing television and just being away so much. And the deal was I called every day and multiple times if I could. Well, look, you and Eva have both graced the covers of Outdoor Life magazine. Eva's cover being the first woman in, what, 30 years. And to make that cover, what is it like to have your daughter called the new face of hunting and then co-hosting television with you. What's that like, Jim? <laughs> well, uh, of course, I was uh, the, the proudest father. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been proud of Eva from the beginning, and her son Bramlin. You know, they're they're fabulous. Uh, you know, children that uh, have always lived up to you know my hopes and dreams for them, and and to see you know, she was actually. On the, it was actually the cover of um, Field and Stream. Or Field and Stream, um, I'm sorry, yeah. I, yeah, and I, I, and I was on the cover of Outdoor Life. She was only the second woman. Uh, the Queen of England was the only other woman ever to uh, to be a, to be on the cover of Field and Stream magazine before Eva. Yeah. Um, so it, it was it was quite <laughs> a big deal. And, and, yeah. You know, like I say, pride, pride, pride. I know your buttons had to be busting off your britches on the on that one. Well, tell us about Branlin's role in hunting and entertainment business. You know, we hear a lot about Eva. Uh, Branlin's many times been in the background, but I know he's been key to your hunting and your entertainment business. Tell us about him. Yeah, our son Branlin. You know, he 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 was a hunter uh, as a youngster. He he loved it. He came with me on hunts and did. You know, he he just was a tough little guy that 
loved being out there. And then when he was 16, he came to me and said, Dad, you know, if I continue in the hunting, I will always be in your shadow. Everyone will say that whatever I accomplished was because of you. And he said, so I, I can't, you know, I have to make a decision here. And I'm, I want to stay in this industry because the people are so wonderful, but I'm going to pick a different side of it that, uh, you know, I won't be in your shadow. And, and he went into the production side. Uh, he started producing our television shows. He actually came to me um, with, uh, you know, to my hunting adventure show that had been on the air already for, I don't know, several, several years. And then, uh, we that we just won the Outdoor Channel's, you know, they called it the Golden Moose Awards at the time, right. uh, for for the best overall production on outdoor television. And my son, our son Bramlin, came to me and said, "Dad, I can make your show better." And I just looked at him and said, "What are you talking about? You 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 never produced a TV show. You don't know anything about it." <laughs> he said, "No." And that's he came back. He came to me with the professionals, the outline for the professionals and said, Dad, this is the direction television's going to go. And uh, so we did that for four years. The next year, he actually won the best overall for the professionals with him producing wow. it. And oh, I know you're proud. Into Uncharted and yeah. you know, five yeah. years of Uncharted and now two years of Uncharted Yukon. And he's producing other yeah. shows for our Aboriginal network up here called Yukon Harvest. And he did Carter's War. He's, he's just wow. he's a genius when it comes to television behind the scenes. That is so good. Well, Jim, you were an All-American swimmer in university, played in the National Water Polo Team for six years, uh, participated in the 1978 and the 82 World Championships, but did not attend the 1980 Olympics because of the international boycott against Russia. Uh, at what point in your career then did you decide to become a worldwide hunter and that ultimately led to your recognition You know, of taking you know, the most free range big game species any living hunter i mean where tell tell us where that all fit together well you know i i the uh sports you have to be a little bit obsessive um you, you, to to work and train and, and compete at an international level every athlete is you you know when everyone else is partying you're you're training and and so I had a good background on, in in that regard. Uh, hard work has never, never scared me, um, and and you know I, I am prepared to live this life, not not just play at it. I'm not you know it's not a token effort. It's mm-hmm. you know I was all in right from the beginning, and I mean it's yeah. a big, wide world, and and uh, you know I set a goal to hunt everywhere, everything that I could and learn as much as I could about conservation in the various places around the world. That was a big motivation. And the cultures, the people, that was just as important to me as the hunting. So, you know, and it also narrowed down the number of places you could actually go because, you know, the world really is a big place. But if you narrow it down to the countries that have good management, uh, wildlife management plans in place, and, you know, hunting for the wildlife is generally it goes hand in foot or hand in hand in hand with these, um, um, you know, good management plans. Uh, I ended up narrowing down the number of countries. And then of course, you know, you're still, you know, up around 50 to 75 countries that I've hunted in, you, you know, but it's a lot better than trying to go to 200 and whatever 70 countries are around the world. Uh-huh. So, so it was really a matter of, uh, I loved hunting. You get one life. And I always felt if you're going to live that one life, why not do what you love doing and uh, never have any regrets when yep. when the day that life is over uh, comes. So oh. I, I, I just, I, I lived it. I just went <laughs> hunting and, and stayed hunting for you know, really since I got out of university. Well, it's so well said. It's going to take us right to our next break. Folks, when we return, going to continue our visit with Jim right here on Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. This is Rob Keck, and we will be right back. Embrace the rustic elegance of a bygone era at Big Cedar Lodge. Located 10 miles south of Branson, Missouri, Big Cedar Lodge is a masterpiece that brings together natural beauty and contemporary luxury. Visitors are invited to explore and experience some of the most popular amenities here. At Big Cedar Lodge, you'll find casual dining options in an unparalleled atmosphere. 
with signature dishes and local favorites highlighting classic menu items. Take in spectacular views at Devil's Pool, live entertainment at the Buzzard Bar, or relax at Truman Coffee and Cafe, all surrounded by the natural ambiance of the Ozark Mountains. One of the newest additions to the property is Cedar Creek Spa. This 18,000-square-foot world-class spa is a private oasis with soothing pools, fireplaces, and a full-service salon. In addition to the complete spa experience, there are private suites available. All of these features make Big Cedar an ideal destination for weddings, corporate gatherings, and more. Families have been visiting Big Cedar Lodge for generations, looking to experience what many call a little piece of heaven on earth. To learn more, visit BigCedar.com or call 1-800-BC-LODGE. Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And if you've just tuned in, we're having a wonderful visit with award-winning television host, Jim Shockey. Jim, you've been recognized with many outstanding awards and, and recognition from the leading conservation organizations, the hunting organizations, the entire conservation community and beyond. Awards like Outdoor Sportsman Award, the Weatherby Hunting and Conservation Award, the Conklin Award, so many more. Is there one that sticks out, maybe one that means more to you than any other? <laughs> well, you know, the, the I, I appreciate the awards. I, I truly do. The recognition is wonderful. And, um, you, you know, it, 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 sure, it feels good, but it's not. I've never done what I've done to, to you know, seek out those awards. So, so I, I honestly can't say that any one of them stands out as being more important than the other because they're all, you know, they're all wonderful awards uh, given out to, you know, people that are, you know, the the, the people that choose feel are, are worthy of that, and and so, you know, they're all they're all equally important. I, I mean, the Weatherby Award certainly is. It is a, a big one in our industry, but, you know, so is the Conklin Award, the International Hunter Award. All, all these ones are, you know, and Dallas has their awards and the Wild Sheep Society. <laughs> um, you know, the, your your Turkey Federation, I'm sure, over the years had awards. It, they're, they're, it, they're wonderful, but none of them stand out as being more important than any of the others. I, You know, I'm, I'm far more proud of the fact that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happily married with uh, two wonderful children and four wonderful grandchildren that that's important that that stands Amen. out for me that Amen yeah, brother family is so much more important than than recognition Well that is so well said and and just deeply felt Well certainly over those years there's been many challenges in accomplishing you know what you set out to do in the hunting world So I've got to ask and I know it's on the mind of a lot of people of all those many, many different big game animals that, that, that you pursued, which one gave you the biggest challenge? And what was that challenge? Boy, oh boy. <laughs> hey, I, I, I'm going back over decades now in my, my brain. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there are different challenges for different reasons. Uh, I remember being on my first sheep hunt, my first backpack sheep hunt up in the Yukon for doll sheep. It was at the time, I think it was $5,000 for a doll sheep hunt. And I was, that took every penny we had. I mean, it was a, mm -hmm. a big risk. And I, it was about day six. I was beat up, tired, cold, wet, hungry. You know, the outfitter at that time basically gave us a, a handful of granola and said, see in 10 days. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah. the hunt was a 14 day hunt. You know, it was, it was, it was uh, <laughs> I was ready to quit, yeah, and, and we found, we saw a legal ram, and my guide, Rod Collins at that time, toughest guy that I've ever been with, uh, you know, he said, well, we can go shoot that. It's a legal ram, it's day six, and we're tired, hungry, cold, all these things, and he said, then you're going to look at that ram for the rest of your life, and you're going to know that it's not what you came up here to hunt, you, you, you know, that's not what you dreamed about. It's a legal ram, but it's young, and it's it's you know, why would you want to kill that? Uh, why wouldn't, you know, why don't we just keep going? And I had to face, you know, some music right then, and I had to decide, well, am I 
am I tough enough to keep going? Can I do this? And uh, I made the decision to not go after that ram. And you know, I think it was on day 12, we, we found an absolute giant that I still to this day look at with pride and the knowledge mm-hmm. that I didn't quit, that that was a turning point in my hunting career where I realized that you can accomplish a lot more than you think you can. Mm-hmm. And we all, we all tend to think discomfort is actually danger. It's not. It's, it's, you just turn your brain off to the discomfort and you can keep going. And, and I realized at that point that, boy, you know, what, what, what is my limit? Maybe it, this isn't it. So what, what could it be? And it, that, uh, you know, that was a turning point in my, my hunting, hunting career for sure. Yeah. I know that feeling. I remember on day seven of my doll sheep hunt, I had those very same thoughts. Well, look, traveling to lands where language, government, hostile environments, possibly even the terrain and weather posed huge challenges to to your hunt. What was the biggest challenge you encountered looking across that that spectrum that I just mentioned? What was that biggest challenge? Well, I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, in, in every hunt, I mean, you know, I hunted top to bottom, side to side in Iran several times, in Pakistan and Tajikistan, you know, Liberia, Central African Republic, and, you know, Chad, Somalia, they, they all had, they all had challenges. I mean, Somalia, we had to uh, use subsonic rounds because we, we didn't want to be pinpointed by the bad guys. Wow. You know, and we certainly, <laughs> I left my cowboy hat at home on that trip. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, then in, in uh, where was it, Ethiopia on the smuggling line between Somalia and uh uh, Sudan, the Mercy tribe, we, we came across a, a gang of about six or seven of them and had a, you know, a close encounter of the unfriendly kind. You know, the the little leader pulled my sunglasses off and put them on his head. And, you know, he, he uh, so I, you either then become a victim and, you know, it would escalate. He would, what, what's next? Everything. He's going to take everything and your life is valueless there. So I snapped his Grigri necklace off and said, okay, we'll do a trade. And, uh, you know, they're all armed with AK-47s. <laughs> Obviously, you know, myself and my PH, we're armed. And, and it's, you know, that's a challenge because you, you have to yeah. face down your fears. You cannot, you cannot be afraid. You know, so, so it's, it's a challenge because it was a dangerous situation. And, uh, you know, in the end, it, it comes down to, look, someone's going to die and one of us is going to get hurt really badly, but we don't know who that's going to be. So are you willing to risk that? You're going to hurt no matter what, and you might die. So, it, you know, it, 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 it's a, you know, it was a tense situation for about 30 seconds, and then, then it became, okay, you know, we're, we're two predators meeting at a waterhole. Let's just choose to not duke it out and, you know, uh-huh. move on. And, wow. and so, you know, there's a challenge, and you're faced with that constantly, in situations where you're not in control, like you say, it can be government, it can be civil strife, it can be animals charging you. I've lost sure. many friends, you know, to animals. So it, mm. all of those are challenges. Weather. I mean, up on the Karakoram Highway, you know, the landslides up on the Himalayas. Look, it's going to take us to our next break, folks. We return. Going to continue uh, here with Jim in our final segment. You're listening to Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. This is Rob Kack, and we will be right back. Years ago, sportsmen led the first revolt to save what was left of North America's dwindling wildlife resources, and it took purpose and commitment. This crusade began with Theodore Roosevelt's forming the Boone and Crockett Club in 1887. Since then, sportsmen and women have been at the forefront of every environmental revolution in this country, providing the vision, funding, and manpower to establish and run what has become the most successful system of wildlife management in the history of mankind. Yet to this day, our story remains relatively unknown, especially to those who don't hunt or fish. We must tell this story, but we need to do more than that. We must insist that others who claim to be conservationists but work tirelessly on campaigns to end all hunting honestly examine the evidence and then ask themselves where would the wildlife they cherish be without sportsmen's dollars and without sportsmen's efforts. Conservation had a beginning, but it has no end. To learn more, visit booneandcrocketclub.com. And welcome back to our final segment of Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. And 
We've been visiting with whom Outdoor Life magazine called the most accomplished hunter of the modern era, a man whose hunting adventures have spanned six continents, 50 countries, my good friend, Jim Shockey. Jim, uh, I know for many, many hunts, many of the shows that we've seen on, on television, you were there with a muzzleloader. But by the same token, I've seen you with a bow and a rifle. What is your favorite animal to hunt? And with what of those methods is your favorite and why? <laughs> you know, I, I get asked that. That's probably the number one question I get asked at seminars and when speaking uh, engagements. Uh, I, I'm, I love hunting moose. I, I, I love the Alaskan Yukon moose. I mean, any moose. Um, and for a number of different reasons. Number one, they taste great. I grew up eating moose with my mm-hmm. dad. I grew up in a trailer park and... If my dad didn't get his moose in the in the fall, we didn't eat meat. We didn't go buy a cow. I didn't know you could buy a cow. And we, <laughs> we ate macaroni. So, so um, you know, I grew up with moose, and so there's that. And uh, just the fact that, you know, where they live is generally remote, and they're so big, the largest land mammal in North America, and they're antlers, fastest-growing bone in the world. You know, and just uh, a very challenging animal to to hunt as well. So, so I, I like moose. Now, if you change the question just a little bit and said, if you could only hunt one species of big game for the rest of your life, what would it be? It wouldn't be moose. It would be white-tailed deer. Mm-hmm. And we all grew up, or most of us grew up hunting white-tailed sure. deer, and I did too. And, and, and so I, I couldn't imagine not hunting white-tailed deer, you know, for the rest of my life. And, and I, I sure can imagine, you know, not trying to drag a quarter of a moose, you know, 200 yards down to the Argo, you know, that, that those, those days yeah. are, are, are numbered for me. How many more years yeah. I can do that. So, yep. but white-tailed deer, you can hunt forever. Um, well, what would it be with? The, uh, would it be with a bow, a muzzleloader, well, rifle, spear? Well, you know, I've honestly only ever taken one moose with a rifle in my life. And that was last fall. It was uh, with a Christensen Arms uh, 300 PRC Hornady bullets that I, I, it was fun. I mean, I'd never hunted with a rifle before. You know, hunting is fun. It doesn't matter what you're using, but, you know, you know, the challenge, you can increase the challenge for sure. You know, so I, so that was the first moose I'd ever shot with a rifle. Well, North American moose, because I've shot him over in Asia with a rifle, but uh, mm-hmm. here in North America, that was the first time. And, and, you know, I've shot many, many moose with muzzleloader. That's been my... Yep sort of firearm of choice over the years. Uh, it's your signature. Invented it. Yeah, yeah, bet. Yeah, that, that was back well, in the 80s. And then, uh, you know, bow and arrow is the ultimate hunt of all. So I'd love it to be bow and arrow with my muzzleloader as a backup and my rifle as a backup to my muzzleloader. How about that? All three. Yeah. All right, that's good. Good answer. Look, we're just about out of time. But I really wanted to pick you up, put your brain on this one. Where do you see hunting in the next decade and beyond? I, I'm I'm a big believer that hunting has a has a future that's rosy. I, I just yesterday in our museum there was a young lady that came in and and uh, she said she was this is a true story. You know she came into the museum and said that and she, she looked like a kind of a hippie and I so I wondered what she's doing in here but she said she was vegetarian and didn't want to be a vegetarian anymore. She wanted to learn how to hunt. Because she believed in you know the field to table lifestyle, the uh, you know the touching the land, being part of our heritage, and I was really pleasantly surprised at that. But I'm not not surprised. I was happy about it, and and you know kind of vindicated because I, I honestly mm-hmm. think that there's a younger generation coming up that is going to embrace hunting. You know they'll have their own ideas about how it should be done and. And what you should hunt, and you know, you know why the reasons might be slightly different, but ultimately it comes down to the same thing: it's a respect for the outdoors, for the conservation of our wild lands and wild species, and a love of this tradition that's really brought us to the dance. Our antecedents were all here because they were the best hunters that ever existed. Yeah. That hunters didn't survive, didn't have babies, and you know they weren't our antecedents. So it is paying of respect that I think we're going to see a lot more of and a better understanding over the next 10, 20 years. I'm 
I guess, I bullish on the future for hunting. Yeah, well, I agree with you, and I, uh, you said it so well, so well. Look, we've got just about a minute left. I just want you to offer a final thought, whether it's looking to the future of our hunting heritage or just a, a real quick message that you'd like to leave with our listeners. <laughs> well, it's going to be a little bit commercial because I, you know, everybody that's listening right now, bear in mind that people like Johnny Morris and, you know, Bass Pro Shops, the Cabela's, this is, we have to keep those companies solid and, and stable and functioning. Without, without them, we, there is no future for hunting. So everybody, you know, I, I don't want to say go spend money, but you know what? Spend money. Spend money on this pastime that we love and, and know that it's the best money and time you'll ever spend is uh, getting in the outdoors and spending time at places like Bass Pro and Cabela's. And, and that's not being facetious. I truly, truly mean that. We, you and I we need basketball and cabellas to be solid. You and I are on the same page. Jim, as always, great to be with you. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for your time and just congratulations on, on an amazing career and making such a huge difference in the lives of so many outdoorsmen and women and really helping preserve our, our rich heritage in hunting, fishing, and conservation. May God richly bless you and your family. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up today here in Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World. I'm Rob Keck, behalf of Bass Pro Shops, where your adventure always starts right here. Thanks for answering the call. That call to preserving a rich hunting, fishing, and trapping heritage. We'll see you next week. This has been Bass Pro Shops Outdoor World, talking all things outdoors, brought to you by Bass Pro Shops, your outdoor leader. Join us next Saturday and every Saturday for more special guests and unique locations.